Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Davison wins Clipsal. This is just one of those events I've always dreamed of winning. It's, uh, it's an amazing event, and uh, regardless of points or anything like that, this is just a, a special day. And Jamie takes race one. You know, anyone that understands motorsport knows that uh, you need everything to go right on the day to uh, to have a result like that, and um, everything just turned my way. And Tony says if it's not overseas, then there will be no event 15. If it didn't come off, we would probably just uh, remove that round from the championship. That's all coming up today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Will Davison says that he knew he would get back onto the winner's list with FPR as he had seen the team developing the qualities it needed to take out their first Clipsal victory last weekend. Oh, it feels, uh, feels pretty magic, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. It's uh, you know, such a quick car. To be honest, starting well, for me last year in general, but uh, to Homebush to have two pole positions and two big fat zeros and uh, to take that into the holiday was you know, disappointing, but also... Uh, yeah, very encouraging. Davison was robbed of victory on the last lap of race number one, but was philosophical about getting it back. Yesterday I thought I might have got that monkey off the back and got that win, uh, particularly my first for FPR. Wasn't quite to be, and uh, we all come back this morning, you know, a little tired, wondering what the day's going to bring, and, uh, you know, I didn't qualify that well. I was angry at myself for being sixth. Um, but we've had a great race. Mark Winterbottom gave FPR a 1-2 finish on Sunday, but rude heavy traffic during the criticals pit stops in and out laps that cost him any chance of beating his teammate. Will pitted a lap before me, so um, I'm not sure he got the call to come in and I got stuck behind lap cars and that was about three seconds on the in-lap and then I got... uh, uh, quite a bad outlap with cars as well coming out, so there was probably like four seconds there. Garth Tander started his season strong with two podiums, the result he was happy to have following the past two seasons where offshore starts to the season had not been so successful. You know, whenever we go to the Middle East to start the championship, it turns sour for me, so very happy to be here and um, you know, third in the points and two solid podiums to start the year off. Jamie Winkup's victory on Saturday's race one was considered by many one of the best V8 supercar drives in history. The defending champion also said he felt it was one of his best. You, you need everything to go right and uh, you need your car set up you know, almost perfectly to, uh, to be competitive. So my thing was uh, absolutely on rails and... Uh, 
I, you know, I, I never like to make bold statements at the time, but uh, I believe that's the, the best race I've ever been involved in. With the loss of his father in the build-up to the event, he talked about putting his personal feelings aside and concentrating on the job he had to do for Triple Eight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of 48 people at Team Vodafone, and uh, I, I pride myself on making sure I don't bring my personal issues to work. So um, I, I go about my business and I owe it to the other guys to, to put in my best performance every time I go out there. Race one saw four drivers into the turn four wall. James Courtney, Jason Bright, Taz Douglas and David Reynolds. All four were able to make it back out onto the track on Sunday. But a qualifying crash on Sunday morning saw both Greg Murphy and Jonathan Webb have to sit out race two. Murphy was first out onto the track and after a red flag in qualifying, he was finishing his second lap of the circuit, getting set up for a flyer when he approached Webb and Mark Winterbottom, who were still warming up their tyres and giving themselves room on the track to get up to speed. Murphy, with nowhere to go, slammed into the back of Webb. Murphy has called for the V8 supercar officials to review the qualifying process that puts the drivers into such a risk of accidents. I think the session needs to be longer, so not everyone has to be out on track at the same time, trying to all, you know, we had a red flag, so it was already down to 14 minutes to go, and, and there's a, a lot of running still to be done, so, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to get a, get, get a gap and get a clean, clean run, and, and there's not a lot of time, so it's all a bit of a panic, and... Uh, you know, the problem is we, we go out the gate and some guys just charge past everybody and then end up holding everybody up when they get to the front. And it's really just, it's a, it's a real mess. So, uh, I don't know, it just, it's a lot of guys just dawdling around the track at such a slow pace. They're never going to do a lap on their first lap because they're going way too slow to warm their tyres up. So, I just don't see the point in it. Webb talked to the V8 Insiders about what it felt like being on the sideline. Uh, emotionally, yeah, pretty, pretty shattered by the whole day, but... Uh, I guess when you look at the overall performance of the team, it's been a brilliant weekend. Mm. Yeah, we've come out strong, showed everyone what we can do uh, for a small little family-operated team. I think Michael's done a brilliant job. Where uh, he's walked out of here this weekend, running 14th in the championship. So again, showing that he can uh, he can run it with the best of them. Tony Cochran and David Malone, V8 CEO, addressed the media on Saturday. Cochran telling the V8 insiders that if the plans for the 15th event which is to be held overseas, are not confirmed, then they will not hold an event on an Australian circuit. Um, Would we consider going to an Australian venue to um, fill the hole, I guess, for one year? Possibly, but it's it's fairly difficult to do that at that time of the year. Um, So my gut feeling, and that's all it is, is that um, we... If it didn't come off, we would probably just uh, remove that round from the championship. The talk during the build-up to the weekend was all around Clipsal having qualifying in race one under lights. Cochrane confirmed that he wanted night racing to start the season and when pressed, indicated that Clipsal may be replaced if they did not agree. Uh, Adelaide, who are looking next year for the 15th Clipsal to uh, take this event to the next level, uh, we're obviously hopeful that... Uh, The uh, South Australian Premier and the government here will see uh, their way uh, forward with this, Uh, but we're pretty determined about it and uh, um, we're uh, very keen to move forward and do the Friday and Saturday night under lights and then the Sunday uh, would be um, um, as per normal. Well, if it was at this event, it would be as per normal uh, with the uh, Sunday afternoon race. 
Mike Drew, a media manager for the Clipsal 500, told the V8 Insiders that he did not see Clipsal losing its place at the front of the championship again anytime soon. Clipsal 500, I think uh, even Tony admits it's uh, the race that's put V8 supercars on the platform it's on at the moment. And uh, so I'm sure we'll be able to reach a very amicable ag- agreement. But um, as for the position of the, uh, the first race, um, V8 supercars tried it overseas and... Um, Obviously, they decided they changed their mind and they're back uh, where I think most people believe it should be. So uh, I think it'll work out. And Drua took the opportunity to fire a broadside back at Cochrane along the way. We don't do our business in media conferences. We do our business in meetings. And I'm sure Tony will have a meeting with us at the appropriate time where uh, all of those... Uh, those matters will be discussed. Sunday's race was a great success for FPR, but many of the other drivers were less happy with the fuel economy run. That was caused by no safety cars. Russell Ingle tweeted the following the event that perhaps the organisers should have just thrown the safety car out there to liven things up. Shane Van Gisbergen, following the event, told the V8 Insiders that he did not enjoy his time in the SP Tools car. When it's boring in the car, I guess it must be boring to watch. We are just driving to a fuel oh number. We could go much faster, but we had to conserve fuel. It felt like a NASCAR race, rolling out of the gas down the straights. Craig Lowndes thought that fuel economy runs are part of the sport and don't need to be a concern to the fans. Don't, I don't think it's just only this race. I think you saw a lot of races last year that uh, ultimately end up being the same way. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to find some more races during the year that uh, end up being that way. Tim Edwards from FPR, after taking the 1-2 victory for his team, was not too worried about the result. We weren't driving to numbers, so maybe they should work on the, on the problem because we just let our drivers drive that race. We've got plenty more news coming up after the break here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8s of the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Tony Cochran has said he doesn't think Hampton Downs in New Zealand would be a suitable venue for V8 supercars as they continue to look for a home in New Zealand from 2013 on. The, the issue with Hampton Downs specifically from our point of view on the current ownership structure, they have a lot of debt, so they can't afford to do any of the improvements that the circuit would require to enable us to run there. Hampton Downs Managing Director Tony Roberts, which hosted the first round of the New Zealand Super Touring Series, hit back at the V8 chairman, saying that the newer permanent facility should be given a chance over the series returning to Pukekohe. Both circuits need investment. Roberts told the New Zealand Herald, if you invest at Pukekohe, then you're investing in the past, whilst if you invest in Hampton Downs, you're investing in the future. He also fired a broadside at Tony Cochran and said that if he wants to hire the circuit at Hampton Downs, he can. Watch out for that one, as it's becoming very interesting across the ditch.
Ford officials were at Clipsal last weekend and they have hinted to supporting teams in the car of the future era. Ford Australia Marketing Vice President Brad Brownwell telling AAP that he sees racing as a key element of Ford Motor Company globally. And as V8 supercars continue their global expansion with different racetracks, then they're continually evaluating all assets and see what the return is. And right now, they're bullish about V8s. The Australian Grand Prix format has been finalised. The first race of the weekend will be held at 11am on Friday morning and we'll see cars eliminated from the race if they are in the drop zone. It's a similar format to the likes of Formula 1 qualifying but applies in lap 12 of the race which will have its own 30-minute qualifying session on Thursday evening. Drivers who are 26th or below by the end of lap 3 are essentially red flagged out of the race. At the end of the 4th lap, those in 23rd to 25th position are out. Then on the 5th lap, 20th to 22nd. On the 6th lap, it's 17th to 19th get flagged off. Then it's 17th lap, it's 14 to 16. The 8th lap is 11th to 13th. And then it's just the top 10 remaining for the final four laps of the race. The three remaining races, the three remaining races don't have that knockout system with the grid determined from the previous race finishing order, except for the fourth and final race, which is based on the highest points from the previous two non-knockout races. In the Dunlop series, it was FPR's Chad Mostert who picked up a dominating win, really streaking away from the field in both of the races across the weekend. Unbelievable. And, um, yeah, we're just ha- happy to con- contain pace and, and the guys behind me dropped off. So um, really grateful for the guys giving me a really good car and um, I stayed consistent. So that's, that's the key to it. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders after the break. Paul Marinelli and Stefan Bartholomeus will join me. I hope you'll stay with us. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's the voice of the V8 Insiders, Paul Marinelli. Good evening, Paul. Uh, good evening to you, Craig. How you doing? I'm going very well. All the better for recent racing, as I'm sure Stefan Bartholomeus from Speed Cafe is also the same. Good evening, Stefan. G'day, Craig. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you both back on after what was a very eventful weekend and two races of big contrasts. And, Stefan, we saw the Crash Fest on Saturday and then the Economy Run on Sunday. And much has been said about the Economy Run. Even Russell Engel was twittering they should have had a full-course safety car just like NASCAR does. Russell Russell Engel's never short of an interesting comment, is he? I think... I think we've got to keep it in context a little bit. There's really only four races that, with the 75-litre tank, are fuel races. 
the two in Adelaide and the two in Sydney. So what we saw on the weekend was two very different fuel races in the fact that Saturday's was actually set up by a safety car 33 laps from home and Sunday's economy run was set up by not having safety cars. Mm. So, yeah, it wasn't the wheel-to-wheel spectacle that it could have been, but there was still plenty going on, I think. Mm. Paul, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Stefan. I think it's all part of the challenge and we don't have that many events where it is fuel critical. Uh, where it is, you want to make sure your calculations are correct and sadly for FBR that, that uh, wasn't the case for the Saturday but certainly was for the Sunday and I agree totally. It was just the way the way the races panned out but all part of the challenge and I think the thing we have to keep in mind too is the 30% faster burn rate of the, of the sucrogen of the um, of the ethanol fuel because because of the fact that that maybe we forget that sometimes but you know Saturday and Sunday were great indications of how how much more fuel these cars consume uh, since we changed over uh, to that uh, more environmentally environmentally friendly mixture of fuel. Mm. But <laughs> critically, we have uh, an interesting situation because the cars were looking good and the drivers were certainly not putting uh, any of this gap year uh, scepticism and any of the idea that, well, we don't want to damage too many of these cars because we don't want to build any new ones, being that we've got to build new cars for next year. And, uh, well, even even when we saw the uh, the damage that was caused in qualifying, it was still no malice intended and everyone sort of just is now getting to work on building the cars up for the Grand Prix. Well, no malice intended, but you've got to say, I mean, something does need to be done. Uh, That that was a qualifying session. It was a 20-minute full-on qualifying session. There is no time for drivers to be backing right off on the race line, no matter who they are, doing practice starts, which is pretty much what I think they were trying to do there, even though they kept rolling, um, but to back off to the point of almost stopping uh, during a 20-minute session where no one can see you. Uh, Mark Winterbottom was in the car in front, and he said to me that he saw Greg coming. Right, so apparently Webby didn't, but whatever was the situation, they're very, very lucky that nobody got hurt and that we didn't have another explosion um, with a fuel tank rupturing or anything like that. But you know, it's a qualifying session. If you're going to back off for whatever reason, at least get off the racing line. Uh, but this idea of cars almost coming to a stop during a session, we almost saw a massive shunt in uh, Tasmania a couple of years back with Wink Up uh, come, catching up to one of the Kelly cars that was just it was Perkins at the time, just crawling around on the racing line, you know qualifying sessions you just cannot do that somebody's going to get killed mm. uh, and I think that, uh, that something needs to be put into the, into the rules or something that if you're going to back off for whatever reason the very least you should do is get off the racing line mm. Stefan what was your take on it all? It's, it's difficult Craig without having been in the driver's briefing understanding what, what the instructions are but yes it is it's something that's been brewing for quite a few years and um, Adelaide, I believe, last year they had a rule where by turn nine you had to actually get on it, even if you're on an outlap. So there was none of this, none of this stopping into the hairpin. Mm. And it is a particularly difficult track for it there, with the fast turn 14 leading into 15, the final right-hander. And I mean, Murphy got out of the car and said, "Well, it wasn't really Jono's fault because everybody needs to create a gap before starting their qualifying lap." You can't start one right behind the car in front. So it's it's about etiquette, and it seemed to improve, I think, at the sort of back end of last year. And straight out of the gate, everybody's in their correct pit lane order. 
So it's a little more settled, but when we have a red flag, as we saw, it sort of mixes it up. So it's an issue that will be discussed for sure. Mm. Yeah, there's other ways of creating a gap without coming almost to a complete stop as well, you know, and I think I think that's, I can appreciate what you're saying, Stefan, and I do agree, John, John was just trying to give himself some room, um, but that shoot behind him, the shoot out of turn 12 or 13 or whatever it is, um, coming out, that they are flying out of that turn almost completely blind. And, and being a driver, I think you'd know that. You'd be aware of that. Um, but it's just one of those things. I mean, it can happen. It's hard when you're not in the driver's seat yourself. But it is qualifying. And for the most part, everybody's going hell to leather. So anyone who backs off on the racing line to the point of almost stopping, really, I mean, it just makes no sense at all, in my opinion. Well, Stefan, turn eight is also a, a point of concern. And uh, Jason Bright, I think, uh, Facebook message or Twitter said, you know, something has to be done about this corner now. It is too dangerous for V8 supercars. The fans love it, and uh, uh, of course, it has had its own black history that that turn eight corner in V8 supercar racing. Yeah, well, you're right, and that's why the topic, I guess, is a little more delicate than the um, than the outlap issue. Um, we saw with the incident that Jason was involved with. I mean, you can't get slippery surface flags yellow flagged anything out that quickly it was early in the race and um, James's car, James Courtney's car had a problem and Taz went in and Jason was unlucky enough to uh, to slide in as well so there's not a lot that can be done there and this is not, not an issue that w- we've seen and V8 Supercars haven't or the Clipsal organisers haven't it's something that's been looked at in depth and they reprofiled the wall not too long back um, but as we've seen, it really hasn't made much difference. Personally, I'd love to see them go back to the full Grand Prix track, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. In fact, I got a grab coming up uh, on next week's show from Alan Jones saying he would love to see him go back to the Grand Prix track, not because they need to, just because it'll get Jones straight back onto the circuit. But, uh, Paul, your thoughts on Turn 8? Yeah, look, I think it's it's pretty sad when you get to an event after all these years and it's not a matter of, you know, uh, when will somebody uh, or who will crash. It's a matter of knowing that there will be crashes at that turn. And everybody's saying, who's going to go into turn eight this year? It's almost like it's a bit of a bit of a comedy routine now. And it's expected because it happens every year. So I think I think it's it's pretty tragic that it's got to that point. And what we've got to do is, is do something about the corner because uh, every year it's proving to claim a different victim or number of victims. Uh, it's only a matter of time before somebody gets hurt again because it's such a fast turn. Uh, and basically, I think the fact that it's almost expected at every single race, and who's going to go into turn eight? I mean, they even got to have a camera embedded in the concrete wall, and they call it slam cam. I mean, you know, <laughs> does that tell you exactly what they're expecting to see every single year without fail? Uh, and if I'm a driver, if I was a driver, I certainly wouldn't be happy that uh, that's the way that corner gets promoted and stuff. I just think it's it's one of those things that, look, we've had a number of massive accidents here. We've had rollovers. We've had one fatality. Uh, you're quite right with poor old Ashley Cooper. Um, we, we've seen, you know, too, too many bad accidents there, and, and something needs to be done. And I, I fully agree with the Grand Prix layout. That'd be fantastic. But... I think in this day and age it probably wouldn't be possible due to the cost. But uh, but to do something about that, whether it is slowing it down or changing it somehow, uh, I think is a good thing when you're having accidents there every single year without fail. Mm. And, of course, uh, let's not forget, they've put the NASCAR wall in there after I can't remember how many years now, but even when the, the wall had the runoff area, sorry, even when the turn had the runoff area, 
we did have some nasty accidents in that part of the track as well. And I think it was a, um, it could have been Brad Jones or maybe one of the BOC gases car that, you know, hooked over the ripple strip that was on the outside of the turn and uh, ended up flipping over. So it, it's not just the wall and the slam cam there. It is just a nasty turn uh, with wall or without wall, Paul. And the other issue, as Stefan touched on, when a driver's got a problem, as Courtney did, you are doomed and we're heading into that corner. You are absolutely doomed. Everybody is coming at you flat out. Nobody can back off. It, you know it's going to be a big one if you've got a problem going into that, 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 that turn. And, and I, I think that means that something does need to be changed because a driver in a situation with a slow leak puncture or some, any sort of handling issue, steering issue, bent steering, whatever it might be, you, you know, is going into that corner knowing that, that they're going to go in or somebody's going to go into them or you know, it's going to be ugly. Mm. Well, plenty more coming up on the V8 Insiders right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me is Stefan Bartholomeus and also Paul Marinelli. And guys, uh, just before we move off the Clipsal 500, because there's so many things happened off the track that we need to talk about as well, what about Jamie Wincup's drive on Saturday, race one, dubbed as one of the best ever V8 supercar drives, Paul? Yeah, it was superb, you know, and, and this is the thing about Triple Eight and the thing about Jamie Winkup and to a large extent Craig Lowndes too. You know that even when it's not their day, that they will pick up a result. They will be there. They will have something to count, to count for at the end of the day, even when things aren't going right, because that's the sort of team they are. They're a 120% class act, and Saturday's race proved that. You know, the strategy, everything short, fell into him, fell into his hands a little bit, but at the end of the day, if he wasn't going as hard as he was going and as smooth as he was racing, he would not be in the position to win that race by the final corner of the final lap with poor old Will's car decided to, it's uh, out of juice. Um, um, but, you know, just superb, a fantastic drive, and particularly the fact that he lost his father the, last week, uh, you know, just one of those magical results, and as he said after the race, the best race he'd, he'd ever been involved in, and I think that was very humble of him, because he's, he's done some pretty spectacular drives through the years, and uh, that was just another example of how good he and his team are. Mm. Stefan, the, the the unbelievable thing about that drive was he did something like, and uh, Tony Whitlock gave me the stats, uh, 14 or 15 laps in the 21s. The only other person in the 21s was his teammate, Craig Lowndes, and he only managed that once. So you're talking about a third of the race, he was in that 21 marker. It, it, amazing drive. Oh, absolutely. He was, he was in a class of his own, and um, he really had to be because qualifying was a little bit of a setback uh, with one pit boom per team. Um, the car in front is going to get the call on the strategy. And Craig had, had track position. Jamie couldn't get to him in the first minute. So uh, Jamie had to be put onto the three-stopper. And we haven't seen that really work all that well in recent years in Adelaide. So um, he had to go out there at that pace and get it done. And um, he was pretty inspired. But then again, on any given day, you wouldn't put it past Jamie Wink up to produce that kind of performance. So in a way, it was a little bit of a shame that after the race, he didn't 
open up a little bit more because it was a great story, but he's not the kind of guy to share too much with the media in, in that sort of respect, and you've got to you've got to understand that. Yeah, and of course, uh, it was interesting just to see how he even said, "I don't want to make a big call," but he said, "I think that was the best race of my life." Moving off the racing, and there's plenty more we could talk about that, but I want to move on to uh, the affairs of state. And Stefan, what did you think of the State of the Nation address with David Malone and, and Tony Cochran? Well, it was it was almost comical, really, I guess, in a way, because uh, the big the big topics there, the TBA race, uh, the future of the New Zealand events, whether there's a fourth manufacturer coming, and even the media rights deal, I mean, they were the issues. And uh, there were there were no answers to be given on anything. So uh, you could ask whatever you liked, and you would just get rhetoric basically in return. So, I mean, one of the opening comments there from David in the uh, in the address was how good their Facebook numbers are. And uh, if we're calling press conferences just to brag about Facebook numbers, then I think uh, we could find something else to do. Paul, what was your take on the State of the Union? Oh, you know, it's just a typical V8 supercar, the, um, the head honcho press conference, isn't it? Uh, uh, all, all talking about all, this, the, all the things you don't need to know about and not giving you the answers about what you do need to know about. I, I think that the, um, some of the comments made, particularly in relation to making Adelaide a night race on the Saturday and a day race on the Sunday, um, to, to, be, to, to talk to the Clipsal 500 organisers who knew nothing about that until that bomb was... was <laughs> was landed during that press conference and then for the comment to be made that uh, uh, oh, the promoters will pay for it when the question was asked uh, believe me, they, they ain't going to pay for it it's one of the very few profitable major sporting events in this country and they're not going to make it unprofitable by going around doing that. Um, I know V8s are desperate for a night race but there is another way, perhaps another way of doing it perhaps get your negotiation done first and then talk about it uh, instead of trying to get the media, because this is exactly what they're trying to do, like what they always do, get the media to hype it up as much as possible so then they feel forced to do it. Um, that, that era of intimidation through the media is long gone. The, the, the politics of the matter are that if it pays its way in Adelaide, it stays. If it doesn't, it goes. And it ain't going to go because it's hugely successful the way it is. And maybe V8s could concentrate their efforts on finding a sponsor that will pay to light the circuit and then turn up to the Clipsal people and say, hey, we've done this deal and, and all well and good. Maybe you could do it. Maybe it would be a great thing. But uh, in terms of television overseas and that, I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, mm. I, I'm sure they're not sitting on, waiting on their seats, waiting for a prime time a V8 supercar race to come on TV in Europe. Mm. Of course, Stefan, do you think any chance of lighting the event might have been set back by the Maestro's concert being disturbed and the, the Premier getting on the phone to try and shut down a Carrera Cup race? Yes, well, I guess that was more of an embarrassing one for the government than anything else. That <laughs> didn't quite cross-check their schedules there. would have been an interesting sound, the mix of mix of music and career cup but uh, yeah the prospect of a, of a night race i mean we were just talking about a couple of fairly serious issues there with the qualifying shunts and uh, turn eight which is basically got shunt written all over it however you say it um so they'd have to light some of that stuff pretty well to not make it more dangerous than it is. Mm. But the thing that hasn't been considered, Stefan and Craig, in terms of lighting up the place, or probably it's the furthest thing from their mind, you're not just talking about lighting up the circuit, which already will cost millions. 
What about all the spectator areas? What about all the admission areas outside? The place is huge, that whole, um, that whole area where the Clipsal 500's held. That's where your millions and millions have to be spent, you know, and all sorts of other things to cater for people um, being able to walk without tripping over and all sorts of things like that. Like, there's all sorts of OH&S issues that go into it. It's not, not a simple matter of let's put some spotlights on the circuit like they did in that race of a thousand years disaster a few years ago. Um, that's just not going to cut it. You know, there's so much more that needs to be considered before you can just go and do that. But it was hilarious finding out that the Premier rang and was all upset and, stop this race right now! And, and the other thing I thought that was absolutely comical was that you had the Fringe Festival, another Adelaide Music Festival, I believe another event, which had nothing to do with music or anything like that, and the Clipsal 500, all scheduled in the same weekend. Are these people crazy? Yes, they are. And uh, in fact, I went to uh, a Fringe Festival event on the Monday or Tuesday um, after Adelaide because I've had a a bit of a holiday before I came back to do the show. And uh, it was quite interesting because we went to this strictly, uh, uh, sorry, uh, spontaneous Broadway where it's a bit like uh, the old theatre sports where they come up with an idea and then they make a Broadway musical out of it on the same night. And uh, they went with Bogan Wars, and there was plenty of references to Clipsal and, uh, and particularly about, oh, we're not going to get drowned out by the race cars tonight because it's all over. <laughs> so it, it certainly hit mainstream, and it even hit the arts, so uh, they were still getting some coverage off that. But Clipsal is uh, an amazing event, and it has not been detracted by the 14th running, Stefan. Where do you think we will be next year? Do you think we'll be under lights? Do you think we'll be uh, on the Grand Prix circuit? Or do you think it's going to be the successful formula just rolled out again? Yeah, I think uh, the copy-paste option is probably, probably not a bad one with that. I mean, when just another point about the night racing, personally, I think... Um, the Adelaide Street Circuit is one of the best-looking streets in the world in terms of it's not all concrete barriers and warehouses. It's uh, got some trees, got some grass, got some nice buildings to look at in the background of the shot, and you'll, you'll cut out a lot of that if it's, if it's a night format, and I'm sure that's something that, from a tourism point of view, isn't ideal. So um, I personally would hope that not much would change. Mm. Paul, perhaps a, uh, a twilight evening night race at Hampton Downs could be the way to go. It's uh, Obviously, they've got to spend a bit of money at the Hampton Downs to get it up to Tony's satisfaction, so why not put some lights in while you're at it? Yeah, well, it's all a matter of who can pay for it, you know, is the point, the point I made earlier. Um, but I agree totally with what Stefan said. I think the other thing that hasn't been considered in all this is families. And so many families were at the Clipsal 500 over the weekend. Uh, the Disney area was packed out full of kids, you know. I saw lots and lots of kids and parents having a great time. Once you make it a night race, you cut all that out, or you cut it out substantially. Uh, because, you know, who's going to take their little kids to stay up till, you know, 10 o'clock at night or 11 for the race to finish or whatever? You know, it just makes things hard, not to mention expensive. Uh, for Hampton Downs, look, anything that can be done in New Zealand to enhance their motorsport, all the, you know, all the better. And uh, I just think more effort needs to be done to, to make sure that the V8 supercars stay in New Zealand and, and even perhaps have two races there uh, down the track. You know, I don't see why it should be so hard. Mm. Stefan, where do you reckon you're going to be sipping your lattes at the cafe in New Zealand in the future? Oh, well, I would, I would say Pukakoi from what we're hearing at the moment, which um, in, in one sense would be a great thing because I really like the racetrack um, as, as a circuit. I think it's an exciting place to watch V8 supercars um, sure. coming over that 
coming over that last corner, there's a fair bit of damper speed going on and, and all the rest of it. And it'll be interesting to see what the current cars look like across some of those bumps compared to what we saw uh, 10 or so years ago. But, um, yeah, I guess that's that's the strongest option at the moment. In a way, it would be a little bit of a uh, embarrassing step back into the past for the eight supercars because they really thought they'd outgrown that racetrack. But... Um, I think having them back at Pukekohe would be a pretty strong option. Mm. Well, there's no doubt they've got to keep New Zealand alive. Paul Marinelli, white flag lap time here, and what's your final thoughts on the weekend and looking ahead to the Grand Prix? Well, fantastic start to the season. Um, thank goodness FBR have started with some speed for a change. I think I say that not purely because of Mark, but I say that because of the competition factor between Team Vodafone, uh, HRT, FBR, um, Stone Brothers, etc. that we've got another team that's throwing out the challenge early um, amidst all the promise of the past. They actually came out fast. Uh, that's exactly what we need. Um, and so, yeah, just a great portent for a, a fantastic season ahead. The driving standards were unbelievable. I look at guys like Tony Al Alberto finishing in the top 11 uh, Fabian Coulthard up there at ninth. we always knew he was a good steerer but it looks like he's going to have a great season and even Alexander Primat, you know, I was the first to sort of say what sort of a deci- decision was that, but he kept his nose clean throughout the weekend, he finished 18th in the second race, it's nothing to, to write home about but in his first drive, you know, he certainly didn't do too badly so um, there's a lot of people behind him that had no business being behind him so I think on the whole we, we're looking forward to a fantastic season and uh, yeah, more of the same. Stefan, your final thoughts? Yeah, I think um, it was good to see FPR have a win. That event had really been dominated by Triple Eight and Walker Shores for a long time, back to 05, I think. So um, that was refreshing. It was good to see how they did it as well because it wasn't just blinding speed. They had good economy. The drivers didn't make mistakes. They had great pit stops. All of those little things that have sort of tripped over, FPR tripped over themselves within the past, seemingly uh, under control there. Uh, probably shouldn't get away from the fact that Jamie was really the benchmark in terms of raw pace when everybody had fuel to burn. Mm. And um, I guess looking at anybody else, Garth is always there or thereabouts and he can really rag any car that you give him. James, Courtney, not so much. It might be another difficult season for him and just hanging on until car of the future. But mm. uh, plenty to talk about, no doubt. Mm. Well. Sorry. Very expensive hanging on for Car of the Future, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the, the webs will be testimony of that. Guys, pleasure to have you on the show. Stefan Bartholomeus, you can read all your stuff at the cafe there. And also, Paul Marinelli, the voice of the V8 Insider, is always great to have you on. Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks, boys. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. The checker flag waves. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.